1: Check out schwanns.com backslash yum for details.
2: Welcome to Ram's Talk Radio. This is managing editor Derek Ciapala. It is getting close to Halloween, a little bit of spooky time. And when it comes to spooky time, we can't help but have... One of the greatest October quarterbacks, November, December, heck, he's one of my favorites, anyways. Jim Everett on the line with us, ready to talk about everything ranging from his career with the Rams to the economics of the game. I have to tell you, uh, Jim is very good with understanding sports economics, and there's a lot of things going on in LA with the Chargers and the Rams. And you know, first, Jim, welcome to the show.
3: Derek, it's great being with you. I know it's, uh, I could spend a few years. A matter of fact, I remember the last time we were talking was uh, before the Rams even moved out here. So it's good to be back with you, buddy.
2: Well, you know, and for the fans who don't know, Jim's played a major role in my life as a Rams fan. When I, when I grew up, Jim, I sent him a letter. I was a 14-year-old kid. I had been going through a rough time in life, been through a lot of bad things. And I sent him a fan letter, and in that fan letter, I just asked, for the kindness of a game program from the game that was being played my birthday. And a couple weeks later in the mail, I get this autographed picture of, of Jim and you know, what uh, made me a fan for life. It, it really solidified. Somebody showed me that kindness and it really made an impact. on I me. Mean, I, I followed your, your career and your life ever since. So even as it is now a grown man, almost 39 years old, you know, I thank you for, for reaching out to those fans over the years and being involved because it makes an
3: impact. Oh, Derek, you don't get to talk on radio very much with a guy that, you know, has a story of someone that you touched. I mean, as an athlete, I know uh, maybe Charles Barkley doesn't think he's a role model, but I think that there's a way that you go out and make a positive touch on a bunch of different people. And it's such a small world. Here we are talking now, something we did 30, 40 years ago. So, you know that's that's kind of a, a cool deal to even hear. You know, but with today's current athletes and the whole thing, or even if you're not an athlete, if you can make a positive difference just a little bit in someone's life, that goes a long, long way. And I think my grandpa taught me that. And and uh, you know, I think one of the guys I admired looking at it was Peyton Manning. He always took the time to write a little letter to somebody or a little appreciation. And I tell you what, that's that's monumental.
2: Well, yeah, and and the guys like that are the ones you remember. Those, those are the ones who, you know, like I'm remembering you 25 years later. I remember that story, like those, you know, like it was yesterday. And opening up my mail and, and this Manila envelope says Los Angeles Rams on it, and it, that picture's there, and th- those things to a kid, they, they really they let you know somebody out there gives a crap. And there are numerous stories in the league of, of players who do that today, and it's a shame that those things get get kind of covered up by, you know, the, the whole National Anthem thing, you know, taking a knee and selling the dumb things players do when the good things that, you know, the players do over time get, you know, kind of wiped clean.
3: Well, I don't think uh, TMZ is going to be covering, you know, sending back an off-track. Yeah, they, they want something a little bit more spicy, a little bit more dicey, you know, the stuff itself. So, you know, got to look that there's a lot of media competition for finding that kind of weird fun story. Yeah. Um, you know, because that's self. So, you know, that's part of the whole whole skit that we deal with the media. We see it in politics. We see it in athletics. We see, I mean, there's a lot of different avenues to be able to touch it on. And I think people have to look through the media a little bit and analyze saying, you know, hey, is this, uh, you know, this aliens from Mars stuff or is this real?
2: It's interesting you say that because I was just teaching my students the other day, you know, about Joseph Poulter and his motto was. Sin, sex, and sensation. And the idea was you you make your stories as flashy, you you add sensation, you sin, the people's sins. And his big uh, competitor at the time, William Randolph Hearst, he focused on alien stories and uh, an imaginary invasion of Mars and so on and so forth. It's so funny you say that now, and you realize media really hasn't changed over the last hundred years you oh, no! Has.
3: Neither has story to- telling before we had media. I mean, they would expand the story and this and that. And you know, I think that's part of human nature. We want to we want to hear about you know, oh really, really that far, even more. You know that type of deal. And I think we all get a little bit entranced with that. And I'm not saying that even on all the bad stuff. Even some sort of the good stuff. Sometimes we take our athletes and make them you know superhuman, and while well, they're still just human. And so that's the part that. You know, I think that it's important to, to hold is that, you know, do the nice thing, do your job, do the things. But, you know, the fact is, 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 is most of the people out there aren't as bad as they want to make them out to be or as good.
2: Oh, yeah, Ed, I'm glad we do. I'm glad that we do see some of the great things. The last time we talked, though, uh, we really got into it on economics. And you told me in that call that you really believe the Rams are going to wind up moving. Well, they did. What do you think really made this happen for the Rams going back to L.A.?
3: Wow, I think, I never want it, it doesn't happen without Stan Kroenke. I mean, here's a, here's a guy, in California is not going to be building a stadium with public funds for some, another billionaire. I mean, that just don't, doesn't happen. It, yet Stan Kroenke was going to put three, four billion dollars down to build his own stadium and 300 acre complex that the NFL can use as the NFL Complex West. Now that's a huge deal. You know, get all NFL films out here. Uh, build a stadium, the state of the art, just like Jerry Jones is in Texas. Money talks, and so that's te- that type of deal where a franchise goes from, say, worth one and a half billion, maybe two billion in St. Louis, now is probably a four billion dollar business in Los Angeles, and they just create created you know value. Of course, that's what Stan Crocky does it. Well, let's that's, let that's, that's parlay parlay that right into the Chargers. No one wanted to buy the Chargers, whatever billionaires there are in San Diego, probably another $2 billion down there. But like the Clippers did in the NBA a while back, they moved up to Los Angeles, and, you know, all of a sudden now their franchise is probably worth more than their $4 billion. I mean, that's $2 billion that Alex Thanos is going to put in his pocket at some point if he ever has to sell or goes to a, a state. That talks. I mean, people just don't create billions of dollars out of thin air.
2: That does bring a question to mind. We, we, at least the way the media has reported it, it looks like you know the L.A. area has not really embraced the Chargers. A lot. Well, that's one thing I'm going to ask you about first is you know how has the L.A. area received the Chargers? But then even the rumors that this team could go back to San Diego or go somewhere else because L.A. is not working. Now, what are you seeing out there?
3: Well, I, I think that there's, there's a lot of loyalties, just like we experienced when L.A. left here, with the Rams left here. There's a lot of heartfelt, there's a lot of you know there's a lot of pain, there's a lot of grief, there's a lot of wondering. But let's just go back to Alex Spano's position. You know. He's got he's still in Southern California. If he flies his team to London or Mexico City or whatever international because that's where the NFL is gonna be headed by year two thousand fifty, is that a lot of people will recognize where Los Angeles is a lot sooner than they will Anaheim, uh, i.e. the Anaheim or Los Angeles Angels now, or any other, any other place around the world will recognize the Los Angeles Chargers. The fans at some point in time will, it'll be a Southern California team, and that's what they're maintaining. I'm not saying that, that it's palatable. I'm not saying it was palatable for when the, for St. Louis, when the, when the Rams left. They probably disliked it. So, you know, the thing that I would say to the St. Louis fans is, hey, we're all one nation. We're all one Ram nation. Stay tight. You know, we hung in there where they were gone for 20 years. Keep hanging in there. But I understand the local loyalty. I get it. And it's tough. But uh, if you go back to Spanos, there's a lot more billionaires probably buying a business in Los Angeles than there would be in San Diego. I'm not the first one to say that he's going to sell his business. But I'm saying opportunistically, if he ever did. You would have a much easier time selling the Los Angeles franchise.
2: Do you think that the NFL is out of San Diego for good?
3: Well, I don't know about that. Uh, you know, I, I never say never because I I could have probably said LA's never coming back home. Yet they did. You know, one of the two franchises ever to move back home would be the Los Angeles Rams and then, and going to Vegas come back and then the Oakland Raiders, you know, going back to Oakland. So I don't never say never if the financials match. And they make sense, of course. I never thought – I would probably say Las Vegas would never have a team. But, look, the, the, the economics are a sense that that's a place. The Raiders would be a natural team. And, you know, I always said the Raiders could play in 16 away games. They'll have as many fans.
2: Well, yeah, they go everywhere and they scare people <laughs> all the way. But, hey, um <laughs> hey,
3: there's jails everywhere. Come on. People have to get <laughs> like, out and watch. Well, you know. I'm not kidding on that. I, I like to give the Raider fans a hard time. They are loyal, and they are, you know, they, they'll fight for the team, and they'll physically show you.
2: Literally. They, they will stab someone for their team. We know that. And that that does bring a question. Back when this was whole, all happening, it was down to the Raiders, Chargers, and the Rams. And in the end, it, it was the Rams first, then the Chargers. What would the situation be like, in your view, if the Raiders and the and the Rams
3: were back in L.A. together? Well, I, I'll honestly say the Raiders is a Los Angeles-based team. I think playing in Las Vegas is the closest suburb, and that probably still gets your base, you know, there. But I think it's natural for a Los Angeles Ram and a Los Angeles Raiders team to be together. I'll say that. I don't think that it would be a marriage made in heaven, you know, have them share the same stadium, share the same Still, I don't. I mean, I don't understand why the 49ers, who built a great stadium up in the bay, didn't have you know the Raiders be their tenant, tenant because that could have happened. But yet the 49ers did not want to have the Raider fan base in that stadium. So go figure.
2: What does that do for the Chargers? You know, you have you know the natural partnership you were mentioning between the Raiders and the Rams. They're at different conferences, so on and so forth. The Chargers are in LA now. It's um, traditionally a Raider town. The rival Raiders. And now they're expected to cheer for the Chargers. How's that going to work out?
3: Oh, it's difficult. No, it's, I'm not saying that this is easy street. I'm not. It's it's going to be very difficult. This is it's something that will probably take time. It'll take you know, and of course where they're playing now, the StubHub has its own has its own issues, and it's probably the first time any NFL franchise has ever come into a stadium that's what twenty five thousand, under thirty thousand. Seats for, you know, stadium and, and, you know, as much as we're thinking about the fan base, I feel for the Charger player. Here's a group that, you know, like the Rams did last year, got uprooted from their home, had to move to a place and, and kind of deal with the fact that sometimes people are talking about them not being wanted. You know, and talk about 60 guys in a room fighting the whole world. I mean, that's the Chargers. And I feel for the guys actually playing for them because that's that's got to be a difficult situation when you're when you do it. Of course, you're going to have your loyal fans of you know thousands that are going to bleed Charger no matter where they are, and I think that's that's going to have to keep them up.
2: Did you catch the Chargers Raiders game on Sunday? Did you happen to see? Sorry, not the Chargers Raiders. The Chargers Broncos game.
3: Yeah, I was going to say Raiders. Why? Yeah, I know. i had I had a moment. I had a moment.
2: Those happen from time to time. Um, yeah, I like good offense,
3: and I didn't see much from
2: them. Oh, so good gosh, no. That was brutal. <laughs> I, I, it
3: was palatable. I like to watch games with both good offense. And but I was in and out of that game, to be honest with you, I mean, I, I wasn't going to sit and watch all that stuff, gonna, all of it. Well,
2: what I, was, what I was really going to ask you about was the attendance there uh, – Again, this is just the camera view. It looked an awful lot like that was a Bronco crowd, and not even halfway, a half-and-half Chargers-Broncos
3: crowd. Oh, I'll tell you what. Wherever, and let's not judge this just for the Chargers. Sure. Broncos, like college football, when you have a bowl game, you've got some teams when they travel, they bring a lot of people with them in college. And then they, you know, if you've got a like, hey, I'm going to take this team or, or you know some other team that doesn't travel well. I'm going to take the team that travels well because eventually it's about making money. Let's go back to the economics. Now, Denver, even when I played in Anaheim, that stadium would be half-orange. So Denver travels very well. They travel much better than, say, Indianapolis or some some other teams. So a team like Cleveland travels well. Dallas travels well. New York Giants travel well. They bring a lot of fans. They have a lot of fan base. for The Raiders travel well. I, there's no doubt in my in my mind that no matter what stadium Denver's playing in, they're going to present. Now, the fact is that they, they have a lot more... Uh, Availability of those seats because some of the Chargers fans aren't showing up. Well, they're going to take it over, just like Philadelphia did the, the couple of weeks before. it's still well, something to watch. Yeah, it's still something to watch. it's you know it's it's an away game, but a home. It's an away game, but you're playing in front of all your cousins. <laughs> <laughs> it's still like a home game, but you, you just have to be out of the house.
2: Also, let's let's talk about what's about your team, the Rams. Four and twelve last year. Thing attendance slowly went downhill from you know the ninety thousand total for preseason to you know lackluster at the end of the year. And the question that I want to first ask you is: Is did the Rams mess
3: up the whole rollout to LA? I don't think there's a, a template for moving a franchise more or less sixty miles, more or less you know two thousand miles or whatever the distance was. There's, there's no good way. Anybody that, that's ever moved knows you're going to go through some crap. I mean, <laughs> I'm sorry if you got a beeper. It's just it's just hard. It's hard on the equipment guy. It's hard on, you know, your front office. It's hard on the players finding a place to live. You've got a lot of extra energy. You know that when you move your house or you move it. That's why people don't move all the time. Cause you're like, I don't want the house. Let's hassle? And sure. uh, did that affect their season? Absolutely. I mean, they were... They were up, you know, staying half the time in Oxnard with the, with the Cowboys. Then they came down to Irvine and they had, you know, they had all these different temporary facilities where they were just going out of. You know, I couldn't see a team going 12 and 4 with all the distractions. No, no way. Now, I'm not blaming that 4 and 12 season on just that one aspect because we don't live in a vacuum. We've got multiple items going on. The fact is, is that in 2016, As compared to 2017, the offensive starters, there's nine new guys starting this year on the first game as opposed to the first game. And I'm including Jerry Goff as a new guy because he didn't start first day in 2016. So you talk about nine different guys, that's a huge change in development. Either, you know, offensive line, Whitworth coming in, Sullivan coming in, um, and then all new coaching staff, the whole deal. They've really done a nice job of implementing. Now, they didn't have to worry about a move this year, except for maybe the coaches. Yeah. <laughs> they had to find home. But other than that, the players were a little more stabilized they brought in i say this i made a comment about this right after the draft this was the first draft in a long time that i thought they drafted for football iq and I think anybody that knows football, you can have specimens playing, but if you have a guy that knows how to play football, he can beat a specimen all, most of the time. doesn't mean he can't get killed every once in well, a while, because he is, because the guy's a monster. But the idea is they got they brought in football players, and mm-hmm. I was so proud of this franchise for doing that.
2: Well, well, what changed? Because you have the same general manager. Is it just because of you know, Jeff Fisher philosophy to the McVeigh philosophy? What
3: really changed? Well, maybe you have the same picker, but it doesn't mean it's like, you know, you being around one of your buddies, you may act a little different around one of your buddies as opposed to another one just because of the deal. Jeff Fisher may have put value in ABC or McVeigh might put value in XYZ. So if you're his picker. You know, you've got, you've got a start now for McVay looking for XYZ guys because that's what he values as a head coach. Otherwise your general manager is not going to have a job, especially if he's a picking department. So Sean McVay was looking for guys that could understand. You're to be around Sean McVay for a little bit to understand him. This guy talks football 24 seven. He's. I mean, he's, he's Peyton Manning, but in a you know shorter body. I mean, now this guy, is, I'm not saying he has the ability, but I'm talking about the mind. Him and Peyton Manning are football addicts. I mean, they just, they're just like, can you please stop? Because you're still talking about it. I mean, they will just grind and grind and grind and go. And that's what he wanted. He values the XYZ guy that understands and wants to learn more about the concept so they can take advantage of what the defense is getting. Because if you recognize what they're trying to do, you know they're soft spot.
2: Before we move on, let's get a word for our sponsors. The Gold Ram Barbershop over at 13755 Golden West Street in Westminster, California, 92683. It's owned by Sal Martinez. He opened up his barbershop the day the Rams left in 1994. He's held the door open to our settings. He's kept the lights on for Rams fans. Great prices. To give. You can get an appointment with him really easy, 714 714- 894 7267. Ours are usually open 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. Go in there, get a great haircut at a great price. Take a look at that museum he's got in his store. It's Rams everything Rams autographs, Rams pictures, Rams jerseys, Rams, Rams, Rams. It's just a great experience. Go in there and talk Rams football. He opened that store for you, the fan. Take a look. Again, it's 714 894 7267. Oh! And if you are interested in sponsoring Rams Talk, please join us. We would love to be on board. We'd love to work with you. We're at ramstalk1945 at gmail.com if you want to get in touch with us. So with that in mind, I, I guess the question I'm going to ask is, is, is a tough one, but I'm really curious.
3: Did yeah. the Rams
2: Did the Rams make a mistake in keeping Fisher that extra year? Oh,
3: I don't know I, I mean we could have if then sir if I'll say no, they didn't make mistakes because anyway, if if they would have let him go a week or a year earlier, they wouldn't have been ready. So they didn't make a mistake. it was all it was all in in the plan. I'm not saying it was stumbled into it, but I'm just saying they' you know, if you were hiring a coach a year earlier, I don't know if you if you get the guy they have now. And I, and I don't know what that looks like. And that's just all hypothetical. So no, I think Fisher was the right guy for the move. I think Fisher did the best job he can. I think that people that appreciate he had an outstanding NFL career, 21 seasons. I don't know if you know about coaching the NFL. No coach lasts 21 years. I mean, that's just incredible. So a lot of kudos to Jeff. The only bad down part with Jeff is because he did not have a contract extension, couldn't attract any offensive talent. And I feel for him. No one's gonna, no offensive guru is gonna sign a one or two year contract. Let's take the 49ers for example with Shanahan up there. He signed a six-year deal to get out of you know a good situation he had in in uh, Atlanta, which makes perfect sense. You know he, he's got job security. He's going to go there. He's going to take time to grow. All those types of things. You know, you're not going to attract a Shanahan to be you know an assistant coach on a staff on a one or two-year contract, and that's what Jeff Fisher ran into. And unfortunately, that was kind of the downfall. They they couldn't get a staff on the offensive side that was it matches defensive savvy.
2: You know you know more than I do. You you've been around the game in a much more intimate way than I have, but I guess the question that comes to mind then is, what about in that first couple of years? We know that Schottenheimer there, who was a dink and dunk kind of guy, and wasn't and proved to be not very creative in his thinking, and it's hard to kind of really understand that when Jeff Fisher was there for five years. And so, are you saying just because they wait, maybe they waited too long to fire, you know? To fire the first guy out of get him out of there, and maybe it's too late to get Brian Schottenheimer. Or I guess I'm trying to wrap my mind around
3: how. I don't it... think it. I don't think it was congruent with the personnel they were bringing in to match up with what offensive coordinators he had. So, for example, let's take um, Robinson for example. Greg Robinson, sure. Um, He's a tackle. Fisher loved him. And I understand why he actually mauled people. He's a Fisher mentality type offensive lineman. And he will absolutely kill you. On the, but He couldn't pass protect, and he needed to learn that. But it's hard to take a guy in the second pick who has to develop a part of his game pass protection that's totally instrumental in the NFL. You're usually looking at a polished product at number two. That's a Jeff Fisher call. and that, But is that going to translate to your offensive coordinator? Well, I've got to tackle it. Okay, I can run block, but I really can't pass block. So a guy like McVeigh, let's translate to him, he knows exactly what he wants on the offensive side. And it's not going to be, You know, unfortunately, a guy like Mr. Robinson, even though he can can run block very well, McVeigh wants an all-around guy that's going a number one, be a student of the game, he's going to be able to have perfected his craft, and he's going to look for a guy that you know, can overachieve and wants, wants and has the drive and will to play football uh, and even be involved with football after the game. That's what he will look for. That's a different mentality from the head coach. Am I blaming that on the offensive coordinator? Absolutely not, but I don't think the offensive coordinator back then, Sottenheimer, is making the call on the he wanted. I could tell you this. I was in the draft room with the Rams in 1980, I don't know, 87, 88. And we have the, we have two picks in the first round after the Eric Dickerson trade. My offensive coordinator and even my head coach wanted certain guys and we didn't get them. The personnel player made a decision. Personnel picked Gaston Green first for the running back position and then we took Aaron Cox at the wide receiver position. Yep, I remember that. If you would have, if you would have left it to the coaching staff, John Robinson and Ernie Zampese, we would have had Michael Irvin in the first pick, and we would have Thurman Thomas in the next pick.
2: And so imagine, imagine how different the franchise has been.
3: Yeah, I, I tell John Robinson that story, and he goes, "Yeah, then you'd still be involved." <laughs> <laughs> so, so you know, I'm I'm not saying that. McVay has let's let's go back to tell uh, telling that story for a reason because not every head coach has absolute control over personnel. Not every offensive coordinator. I mean Ernest Zampese knew he wanted Mike Orban, but he got Aaron Cox. Two different, two different guys. Personnel guy loved Gas and Green because he could run through big holes. But yes, John Robinson loved Thurman Thomas because he wanted a guy that could bounce around. And do and you know I mean fortunately those guys landed in the right spot for themselves and they're you know Hall of Famers so it's a whole group thing is what I'm trying to get to your personnel your general manager your head coach your position coaches and you have to pick guys that you want you can't just get guys that are selected because they're they measured a certain way or they did this or they did that they're ballers. And that's what they're doing, and that's what the thing I was so impressed with with this draft. First time I've seen it in a long, long
2: time. Let me ask this question, and I'm, I'm thinking about the draft. And you, the way you said it to me, I haven't heard anybody else really really say it in terms of football IQ. Like I haven't heard anybody talk about that concerning the Rams draft. Matter of fact, most experts we saw gave the draft a middling score. You know, they did good things. Uh-huh. And, and so, you know, coming into the season,
3: there were plenty of doubts. Hey, hey. Derek, real quick, if I get how vertical jump, I'm going to give the Rams a vertical, uh, a middling score. If mm-hmm. I, if I value 40 times, I'm going to give Rams a middling value. And, I, and that perfectly makes sense because you, you're not going to, football IQ is not measurable like that. It's almost like St. Derek, I want to measure heart. Put that on the scale for me, buddy.
2: Will, isn't it like no, seven no. pounds or seven pounds of flesh? <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
3: I want a full seven-pounder. I don't want to be like a secretariat. I want one with
2: ten. <laughs> yeah, I, and I get what you're saying, and I, I actually agree. It's just, you know, it's it's refreshing because we haven't heard that kind of talk, and again, it goes, to me, goes back to what we were talking about in the first part of the conversation when we're talking about the media and, and so on and so forth. These talking heads that we get on TV don't really ever talk about, the IQ as much as those 40 times, and the, and the bench presses, and, and and so on and so forth. And I'm not saying they don't matter, but to really kind of focus in on IQ, to me it's overlooked in, in today's NFL.
3: It is. It is. But, you know, and then you'll go through a trend where, you know, a team, they all have people that run under 4-5 and they win. So, you know, the other team was like, I need a bunch of fast guys because we're too slow on our team. So you go through these different ways and cycles and, you know, you go a time where, you know, the same thing with cars, all of a sudden gas prices go up and you want a little car and all of a sudden gas prices go down and now you want a gas guzzler. I mean, it it goes in these different trends. So, Derek, it's one of those things that it's natural. I always say life comes in waves, just like the ocean, you know, peaks and valleys, you know, just be consistent, you know, be the fan through it all and be consistent and, um, you know, look for what you do and stay true to yourself.
2: It seems like that's what the Rams are doing. They have kind of figured out who they are. What is the uh, the ceiling for this Rams team this year?
3: Well, I think they're they're a hard working group. I think that you know, they they I heard McFay said one time this was the best game we played last week. And I would agree with it. Um, because there was there's other facets of the game that were always ah we could do that a little better, oh we could do that a little better. So these guys are in a position where they're just taking this offense on. And I said that they would be better in week eight than in week one because all the nuances of the system and the coaches are being able to put more and add a little bit more responsibility and put in, you know, a little bit more trickery and a little more, a little more pageantry to make the offense a little less predictable. All those things can come when you have guys in reps. Like anything else you do with uh, any other thing in life, you get a few reps at something and you can perfect it. That's where they're getting to. Um, I don't. I don't think we're even close to seeing them be the best they can be. They're not even. They, Watkins is, is still not utilized. Woods is coming on. I think the tie end position. Higby still has a lot of um, stuff that he can clean up. And of course, um, you know the offensive line—they're always getting better. But uh, Coach Aaron Cromer is doing just wonderful. Oh job. my goodness, he yes. is. I sat with him in a meeting earlier this year, and he talked about his technique and. It's rather new, the stuff that he's bringing in. you think about old-school offensive line, you think of road grading. Well, he doesn't teach that. He teaches a couple other techniques, and that was with Jackie Slater and did Hare and they're like, wow, that's different. That's, how's that going to work? That's, that's not ours. But when you're talking about 360-pound defensive tackles, it's tough to road grade that. you have, you got to use some different techniques, and he's got them, and they're working. And it's, um, it's, it's quite impressive.
2: Well, I'm going to, I'm going to get, just ask you straight forward. Can this team win the NFC West this year?
3: No, I don't know. I have no idea. I, I mean, I don't get into the hypotheses. You know, they'd be 5-2. and two. They could have been 6-1 and one with one more catch. Oh, yeah. Um, a couple a couple fumbles. They could be, you know, they could be 3-4. and four. So, I, I don't know, you know, all the, ball, the way the ball bounces. I think if they continue to try Wade Phillips' defense, they're going to be tough as nails throw on. Uh, Bones has got their special teams playing to a very high level. And I, I, is there any better kicker right now than Zerline and Hecker? and Hecker as a punter? I mean, those guys are off the charts. So special teams a check. I don't see why not. You know, but knock on wood that they they stay healthy. I know Sullivan got a little banged up this last game, and hopefully he's uh, he's, he, he's back. He's been an integral part of making sure that the offensive line turns the right way and protects. I know last year, Jared was looking left and right because he was running. <laughs> it's hard <laughs> to play the quarterback position when you're looking at your lineman. <laughs> this year, he, he's got so much more time. He's just steaming it, and you can see it, and his eyes are staying upfield, and it's, it's fun to watch. He's going to get better. He's shifting and moving. He's nowhere near as accurate as he can be, and his movement in the pocket is still, uh, is still a little slow for, for this level. And I see that going to improve over the next three years tremendously.
2: Well, that's one question I was going to ask with Jared Goff. Last year, he looked deer in headlights. I don't necessarily blame that on him. I don't think the Rams gave him a lot to protect him last year. This year, he's shown such a different, just a different way in how he's playing. You know, he's he's the guy. One, he's got courage. He'll, he'll step up and he'll step into a throw and he'll take a hit. You know, he'll he'll take off and run when you need to run. But one thing I've noticed. Is you know he still has occasion on once in a while to to stare down receivers on once in a while, and he also tends to throw behind receivers when he's in a hurry. Uh, so can you explain to me? You've been there, you've done that. You've started off as a rookie and you've developed into the NFL starter. What is the progression as from a rookie to being that guy, that franchise quarterback? Because that's what they really need him
3: to be. Well, I mean, I can I can relate to him well because I had to change offense after my second year as well, and and for the better because I was with the with the the master Ernie Zampese who brought in, um, you know, a guy an unknown guy named Dick South, uh, Dan South's offense. So it was it was night and day for me as well because I came from you know kind of a we're gonna run right, run left, and then we're gonna throw an out route to you know this complex offense where you know I didn't get it for a while. I mean, I, I really, I mean, I saw it. I had definitely, I, but to be able to pull the trigger and do it like it, you know, uh, second nature takes time. There's no other substitute than time. I mean, if you looked at Aaron Rodgers and you looked at him coming out of Cal as compared to now, he's a different cat. And there's a, lot, a lot of confidence he had, the throws he could make, because he's seen it over. And over and over, and he knows. Look at Tom Brady when he when he sees the two high or one high, he knows exactly where he's going. He doesn't have to stare it down. He doesn't have to look at it develop. He knows. And he just has to have his guys run the play. So it happens not only with quarterbacks, and that's the thing about with. Very coming in, they have an answer. They do this, we do that. We they do this, we do that. They didn't have that last year. They do this, well we panicked. <laughs> <laughs> or we're doing a double-side route, but as they don't correspond to, you know, what the defense could possibly give you. So it's more of a guess. Now they have an answer. They do this, we do that. They do this, we do that. If they do this, we go here. If they happen to do this, they blitz, we got this pickup. So there's an answer to everything. So that's what Jared's coming from is going like, I have an answer no matter what they do. If they want to blitz, we'll throw hot. We'll throw this. We'll do max. We'll do this. So there's an answer, and that's what Sean wants. And i tell you what, it puts the defensive coordinators on their heels. Where prior, all they do is play eight in the box and just, just tag uh, Gurley. You know, but now we're using Gurley in the pass game. We're using him in the run game. We're, we're doing counters. We're doing, you know, all those jet sweeps. And you don't know if, if Tavon's getting the ball. And if you don't respect him, he's going to get it. But you've got to keep the lanes wide open. And, you know, and I think it's a, it's a good addition to what McVay, how McVay's using his talent.
2: The offense to me is is completely night and day. You know, like you're saying, but I, I kind of want to back up a little bit. We're, we're it's getting late here, and a few things I want to kind of cover with you first. I, the question I have: to, the last time we talked, we we talked. You, you gave me the story on Jim Rome. I, this is more curiosity than anything else. Have you since then talked to Mister Romanoff? Has there been inter, any interaction?
3: I'll tell you what, The only thing that I have to do with Rome is think about Italy. That's it. <laughs>
2: Great answer. Well, I don't think I even have to follow up on that one. <laughs> you, know,
3: you know, it's so beautiful over there. It's just, it's, it's, you know, the heritage, the history of Rome is unbelievable. I can't wait to go back.
2: Okay. Just looking back at your career, there you had several great games, several important games, several ones that are, you know, kind of in Rams history. There's everything ranging from the Phantom Sack, which we've talked about before, but two really two big wins. In Rams, two historic nights. So Sunday night game against the Saints, uh, where we, where you and Flipper Anderson were on fire, and also the New York Giants playoff game. Can you take us back to that? Uh, what was it like, you know, for this that Saints game where you, you know you hit 336 yards that night for? Uh, Flipper Anderson. and I
3: was just Flipper alone. I mean, I I didn't even throw for over five hundred. I threw at four fifty, but three thirty something to Flipper. That's pretty pretty crazy. <laughs> and he wasn't even he wasn't even going to play. I mean, he was going to be the third wide receiver. It was a, a game time decision that Henry Ellard had to had to shut it down because he tweaked his hamstring mm-hmm. during the week. And so you know it was like last minute deal. We kind of didn't figure things out till a little bit late in late in the game. But thank God we did. <laughs>
2: Oh, I remember, and I was just sitting at home watching that game and thinking, "No, we can't lose this one. Can't see this happen And the 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 Everett Anderson connection, man, that, that was one of the most impressive things I've ever seen. Well, we
3: were down, we were down 14 to nothing and for most of the game. And we got deep into the fourth quarter I don't know, five, four or five minutes left. And so we started knocking on the point. So it was the Pat swilling Ricky Jackson knocked the heck out of Jim Everett show for a long time. Oh yeah. I think we had six or seven sacks up to then and we just weren't getting it done. And our running game wasn't going anywhere. But then all of a sudden, you know, we just said, all right, we'll, we'll just get this, you know, basically a two minute drill going. And then all of a sudden, well, I think we tired him out, and uh, or at least the pass rush we did. And then we started flipping around the park, and then Flipper caught everything. I mean, everything. It was time. They were trying to blitz. They were def- I just put it up and threw a 50-50 ball, and Flipper comes down with it. all of a sudden, they're doing something else. I got to get rid of the ball, and I throw another 50-50 ball. But they got two guys on. He still comes down with it. So it was just one of those days when we go over, over time. So we had a little bit more time. But we just stayed two minutes at that point. We just said, the heck, we're not going to even try to fit, fit, fool around with two-back set and all this fake run stuff. We're just going to just say, we're going to air it. You know we're going to air it. Come get me.
2: Now, the other game is, is that Giants game. And if I remember correctly, the defense that day was, we had several injuries. How did that game, how, how, <laughs> years later, you still wonder, how did the Rams win that game? Hey.
3: You know, what's, what's, what's amazing is, Derek, the week before we play Philadelphia, at Philadelphia, with two defensive linemen. We have two healthy defensive linemen. And we win that game. Now, that's pretty spectacular. So we ended up going up to Giants thinking, oh god, because that, Bill Parcells, he just wants to run it, he's gonna hammer it. And, you know, I think we had three or, or two guys came back, so we had some linemen. But the job Fritz Shermer did against Philadelphia Eagles with two defensive linemen was something something pretty special. We had all them linebackers juking around, just chasing around with Cunningham around. That was pretty special to come out of that game. But going back to your Giants question, there was something about playing teams like the New York Giants, teams like the Dallas Cowboys, that, you know, those, those the big media, it was always got us cranked up. Always, good. you know, it was, it was, it was fun playing those guys and built parts cells bigger than, you know, this and that. And, you know, it was uh, something about always burn out the best. I know in my game and a lot usually all all my teammates we played the Giants. And uh, to be able to go in that stadium, because I tell you what, they're a fan base. They know more about our mothers than we know. And they <laughs> let you know about it. <laughs> <laughs> so it was kinda it but I, I learned some stuff about my teammates I didn't know. anyways we went up there and we we hit that that, that pass. But, you know the crazy part about it is we knew they were blessing. And of course, you know Belichick he was he the coordinator at the time, and I'm not saying he didn't have splits, but they're his own base team overall and so when we we kind of knew they were coming, so we were we actually called the same play a few times, anticipating, and they didn't let the couple times, but when they did, then that's what we we had flipper could get on top of either one of the corners.
2: All I remember is the tunnel that's right. what I remember I just. You know, I just, that's all I remember is a tunnel. And the way he kept running, you're thinking, is this, is this real? Is this, is this,
3: oh, my, I, it,
2: did the Rams just win this game? It, it just...
3: Yeah. <laughs> I, I was, it was kind of like we stole the game from him, but, you know, we'll take that. And, you know, <laughs> the, 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 the part about you remember the tunnel, I remember the tunnel, the TV remember the tunnel, but the thing about it is eerily quiet. I'll always remember that, eerily quiet. I mean, for all those people in a stadium and in, and just him. them, say nothing it was just amazing just absolutely shocked yeah. so, like 60,000 goldfish
2: <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> so all these years later you know and you play with some some just really great Flipper Anderson uh, Jackie Slater you know, do you keep touch with all these guys
3: I try, absolutely. I see Jackie Slater, he's working, he's doing some work for NBC. Vince Vergamo, I see. I usually check in with Jackie when we talk shop and this and that, you know, on a professional level. I do a little part-time stuff for CBS, so, you know, we kind of, we kind of tink around. Um I see at the reunions we have, you know, the, the legends is becoming a bigger thing. The teams are being involved more with their past players, and so we have a few more outings that we get a chance. Dennis Harris to see him quite a bit. Mike Lansford, Nolan Cromwell quite a bit. And, uh, you know, Nolan Cromwell, that's an interesting story. He was my first roommate um, with the Rams. And, uh, and he was one of my heroes growing up. You know, that was just, that's a whole—that's for another day. But anyways, yeah, we get to hang out.
2: That's that's great to hear. Well, you know, thanks for coming on the show today. Any time we can get you on the show is good stuff because you always, always have insight that we're looking for. And, so real quick, can you, just go. Hey, where can our fans interact with you? Uh You're on Twitter. Uh, I'm on Twitter.
3: Look me. I look Jim Everett up on Twitter. You'll find me.
2: You'll yeah, we'll find me. <laughs> we'll look.
3: And I got I got a Facebook page. I keep that going a little bit. That's under Jim Everett as well. But Twitter's usually where I keep most of my uh my NFL stuff. And you know I you know I'm a part time comedian, so I don't know. Maybe I, I don't know. <laughs> I'm I'm kidding about that. Uh, my material sometimes is horrible, but I, I'm not afraid to use it. All right. <laughs> Well, Jim,
2: thanks so much for coming on the show. It's always, you know, there's a, there's a, like I've told you a million times, whenever, well, I'm not sure if it's a million, I'm being a little hyperbolic there. My childhood hero, guys. So uh, it's always a pleasure for me to get a chance to talk to them. always
3: good to catch up with you. And you know what? Keep doing what you dream. You know what I'm saying? Just keep doing what you dream. And it won't be work, and you'll make a difference. So keep rolling. All right. For you know, for
2: the staff over at Rams Talk, for Jim Everett, for Derek C. Paul, manager, Have a great night.
0: The available AKG 36 speaker sound system in the Cadillac Escalade provides 360-degree sound, so you hear studio sound on the road. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade. Never stops arriving.
1: Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more verizon engineers going the extra mile matters it's us pushing us it's verizon versus verizon 5g built right from america's most reliable network most reliable based on rankings from RootMetrics second half 2020 u.s report of three mobile networks results may vary award is not an endorsement whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance